Cabinet of Curiosities by James Henry. Chapter 8 We've all been desperately worried about you, Rose, my dear, said the Earl, running away like that. You've led us quite the merry dance. The first thing Rosa noticed about the Earl, after the Professor had taken her through now dark corridors to the comfortable map-lined room where their visitor was waiting, was his suit. It was sort of black, but that's like saying the universe was sort of big, or that having one's arm cut off would sort of sting. There was a vague impression of a slim man, a little taller, perhaps a little older than the Professor, although his skin was pinker and somehow more expensive looking. He was either bold, or his fair hair was cropped so close to his skull as to make no difference, but really it was all about the suit. The Earl's suit was so incredibly black, it almost embodied blackness, as though the Earl was rich enough to have had the suit made directly out of the very idea of black. The Professor had lit a couple of small electric lamps, but they barely seemed to illuminate the dark figure sitting neatly in the poorly upholstered chair in the corner of the room. The shape of the Earl was like a hole cut out of the world. Merry dance, thought Rosa. Real people don't talk like that. They'll call me a cheeky young scamp in a minute. The Earl pulled a silk handkerchief from his breast pocket, and Rosa leaned forward slightly, hypnotised, as he gently flicked a speck of dust off his shoes. These two were black, but glossy, reflecting all the light that the suit absorbed, shiny and deadly as an oil slick. The handkerchief vanished back into the pocket, as if it had never existed, and the Earl coughed quietly. Rosa realised she'd been staring and flushed, embarrassed. We? said the Professor, mildly. Us? The Earl sighed. The servants and I, he said. They're the closest thing I have to family these days. You must come and visit sometime, Professor. My collection of oddments is a poor thing, no comparison to your own, but I'm sure you would find some of the pieces amusing. Indeed, replied the Professor, with no real enthusiasm. I barely even make it into the town these days. I'm afraid this old place does keep me fully occupied. Must be a full-time job, just keeping it clean, smiled the Earl. I'm surprised you didn't sell off a few of the smaller pieces. Get some help in. The Professor said nothing. Rosa couldn't bear it any longer. Who am I? she cried, much louder than she'd intended. The Earl frowned. Rosa could see nothing in his face but honest surprise. You don't know? There's been some memory loss, said the Professor. The Earl leaned forward, concerned, saw the plaster on Rosa's hand. Rose, are you quite well? Have you been hurt? There's nothing wrong with me, said Rosa. I just don't remember anything. I mean, I know that doesn't sound good, but... The Earl shook his head, aghast. Professor, I really must insist you let me take young Rosa back with me this instant. Clearly, this whole episode has come about due to some awful accident. My child, let me look at you. He uncoiled in his chair suddenly, took Rosa's chin in his hand, turning her face left, then right, as if hoping to spot some terrible injury. His fingers were long and thin and held Rosa like a vice. She found herself staring at a framed diagram of a ship just above the Earl's head. It had the head and tail of a great winged serpent. Tamor was by Rosa's side in a second, but it was the Professor who reached out for the Earl's wrist. In an instant, Rosa felt herself freed, and the Earl was suddenly back in his chair, his hands held up in a placatory gesture. I'd like to speak to Rosa alone, if you don't mind. The situation is a little delicate. The Professor frowned, and Tamor made a low growl, but Rosa nodded. Please, she said to them, I'm sure I'll be quite safe. I just need to know. Reluctantly, the Professor nodded. We can wait just outside, I suppose, he said, and opened the door. Tamor gave the Earl a long, hard look before following him outside. 
Shout out if you need us, she said, and the door closed. Rosa and the Earl were alone. My parents alive? asked Rosa eagerly. Do I have brothers or sisters? Is there a school I go to? What about friends or... The Earl held up her hand and Rosa stopped gabbling, embarrassed. I can tell you everything, he said, but there will be a cost. I don't understand, said Rosa. You want money? It didn't make sense. The Earl was rich. He had to be. But he was shaking his head. Your new friend, the Professor, the Earl said, is playing a very dangerous game. He has an item I want, I need, and I believe you can help me get hold of it. Your help to me will be more valuable than any amount of money. Please, said Rosa. She could feel her heart pounding in her chest now. I just want to know what happened before I got on the train, where I came from, who I am. A red notebook, he continued, as if Rosa hadn't said anything at all. It's here somewhere in the Professor's collection, I know it. You don't need to tell the Professor you're looking for it. He probably won't even notice when it goes missing. But if you agree to help me in a matter, I will tell you everything you want to know, right here and now. Rosa stared at him. You want me to lie to the Professor? she asked, bewildered. And some more, and then steal from them? I wouldn't have put it exactly like that, said the Earl. But that's the essence of the deal, yes. Agree to help me, and in just a few seconds I can answer all your questions. And I know everything. Don't think I'm bluffing. He leaned forward, staring at her intently. What do you say? What a lovely voice he has, thought Rosa, all soft and sweet like honey. No, she said, of course not. It would have been less surprising if the Earl had looked angry or upset or disappointed. Instead, he looked almost impressed. A brave choice, my dear, he said. It wasn't a choice, said Rosa. It was a stupid thing to ask. Oh, there's always a choice, said the Earl calmly. A quick, easy path, or a long, difficult one. I'm afraid, my dear, you've chosen the latter. Let me wish you all the luck in the world. You're going to need it. Rosa just stared at him. There was a knock at the door. Are you all right, Rosa? came the Professor's voice from outside. Do you want us to come in? By all means, called the Earl. I believe our business here is concluded for now. I wonder if Rosa would mind waiting in the hall while I wrap things up. The Professor and Samore entered. Thinks he owns the place, the dog muttered under her breath. Both looked at Rosa, who was only able to shrug helplessly. Don't trust him, she whispered, as she brushed past them on the way out. She wasn't even sure if the professor heard her, but Samore's ears twitched, and her heavy tail thumped briefly against Rosa's legs as they passed. A book has gone missing from my collection, began the Earl, as though Rosa was no longer even in the room. She stared at him for a second, then left, quietly shutting the door behind her. The entrance hall, like the rest of the building, was cluttered with objects, paintings of all sizes, vases and jugs, crumbs and dried flowers, and the covered mirrors stretching all the way to the front door. Every object here, thought Rosa, has some strange history to it, some weird tale about where it had come from, or what it had been used for in the past. She was the only thing that didn't fit. Sitting down on the bare wooden seat, Rosa waited for the Professor and the Earl to finish their discussion. On her lap, she clutched her strawberry-coloured handbag and the holdall containing her freshly washed clothes. Everything she owned in the world, all ready to take with her when the Earl swept her off to her real life. But that wasn't going to happen now. Just to Rose's right was a stand made from what looked like scratchly carved bone, supporting a large glass ball. Overcoming my tiredness and despair, she leant her head against it and closed her eyes. Irreplaceable, of course. It was the Earl's voice, loud and clear, and sinister enough to be right next to her. Rosa jerked her head up and the sound stopped immediately. 
She stared at the glass ball. The dusty surface had been cleaned a little, while she leaned her head against it. There was an emerald light at the globe's heart that hadn't been there before. Gently, Rosa blew more dust away, and laid her hands flat against the smooth glass. The voice returned, this time with an image swimming to the surface, the Professor and the Earl in the map room. Someone stole it, said the Earl. The picture was greenish and wobbled slightly as though underwater, but Rosa could see he was sitting back in the chair now. Tamor and the Professor hadn't moved. I'm merely asking you to keep an eye out. I'm sure people send you all sorts of interesting items. I don't deal in stolen property, said the Professor firmly. The Earl looked alarmed at the very idea. Of course not. I'm not accusing you of anything untoward. Just informing you, if it were to come into your possession, you could make both a tidy sum and sleep the healthy sleep of the just, were you to return it to its rightful owner. It's odd, said the Professor rather carelessly. I thought you'd grown out of books, put them aside as childish things. Rather a shame, I thought, from what I read. You seemed to enjoy them as a child. Then forget what you've read, snapped the Earl, suddenly annoyed. The Professor's expression didn't change. A sentimental attachment, he said smoothly. I quite understand. Now, what size is it? Quattro? Folio? Elephant? Elephant, thought Rosa to herself, and smiled a little for the first time. The Professor seemed to have very quietly got the upper hand of this discussion. It's a red notebook, said the Earl, through gritted teeth, with an embossed A on the cover in gold. Those are all the details you need. Or are those all the details you have? asked the Professor calmly. You know, I would hate to think this book was never in your possession at all. That you were in some way using me to add to your own collection. The Earl stood, but he was careful not to get too close to Timor. I'll have that book, he said. But why do you want the girl? asked the Professor. Rosa held her breath. The Earl shook his head sadly. I feel responsible for her, he said. Her parents never wanted her, you know. She stole from them regularly, so they threw her out. Rosa stared into the glass ball, feeling something nasty rising in her throat. She swallowed, made herself focus. I took young Rosa in, said the Earl simply. My staff worked hard to look after her, gave her everything she could have wanted, and she stole from them too, just little things at first. Clothes, sunglasses, a ridiculous strawberry handbag. Rosa gasped. It's not true, she whispered. But she had no memory, no way of knowing how she got the things she had. What if she had taken the Earl's book? The Professor was clearly some kind of private collector. Maybe she planned on selling it to him. But in that case, where was the book? Rosa's mind reeled with doubt. Rosa Dew is a liar and a thief, said the Earl softly. I'm not, shouted Rosa. I would never do those things. But a small treacherous voice in the back of her head whispered, You might. You don't know for sure, do you? The Professor frowned, looking directly into her gaze. Rosa, he said. I... Doubt crossed his face. It was just for a second, but it was long enough. Rosa picked up the whole door, took a coat down from the hook by the door, and fled into the night. Chapter 9 It was no longer snowing, but the pavements were treacherous with ice. A long grey car was parked directly outside, right upon the pavement, and Rosa skidded slightly, slamming her hands on the bonnet to prevent herself running straight into it. A small figure hunched in the passenger seat bared white teeth at her from the darkness. Despite the tendrils of long hair, she could see it was a boy, and at first Rosa guessed him to be about her own age. But then she saw his eyes. They were far, far older. Rosa took her hands off the bonnet and backed slowly around the car. Then she turned and ran towards the seafront. Stupid, Rosa thought, rubbing away tears with cold hands, to let yourself believe, even for a moment, that you might belong with the Professor and some more and Gary. And now they'd been poisoned against her, and whatever the Earl had said, 
she didn't belong with him either. The terrible thing was, although in her heart she was sure what the Earl had said about him taking her in at Dorincourt and her running away was a lie, in her head she knew there was no way to tell for sure. She'd been foolish to expect the Earl to save her, to give her a home and a past. No one would care about her. She was on her own again. But then something else occurred to her. What if the real Rosa, the person she'd been before waking up on the train, wasn't like her at all? I could be nothing to do with the Earl, she thought, and still be a liar, or a thief, or worse. But right now, she had to take care of herself. With a final, decisive sniff, Rosa decided to head to the chip shop. There were a few coins left from the money the ticket collector had given her, but barely enough for one more meal for tomorrow. The chip shop lady had seemed, well, if not exactly kind, not unkind anyway, and she might want a hand serving the food or cleaning up. Either way, Rosa just needed enough money for a train ticket away from this place, away from the Earl. The professor would never want her in his home again, not after what he'd been told, but she could send the borrowed clothes back to him, so he would know she hadn't stolen from him at least. Rosa jingled the sad handful of coins together, then put them back in her pocket. She knew this road. Things were looking up already, she told herself, and for a moment she very nearly believed it. The chip shop was closed, of course. Rosa pressed her face against the glass and peered desperately into the darkness within, even banged her fist against the window, but to no avail. When she stepped back, she realised a poster had been stuck to the very top of the window, about two feet above her head. Lost girl, it read. Answers to the name of Rosa. The rest of the poster had been torn down. It was in a screwed up ball on the pavement, half frozen into the ice. One place was open, a bar, brightly lit with a single long window stretching parallel to the seafront, so, Rosa guessed, people could drink their drinks watching the sun go down. The sun had gone down a long time ago, but inside the bar some people were still drinking, a group of seven or eight women, older than Rosa, but still young. They were dressed in brightly coloured clothes and sipping brightly coloured drinks, and although Rosa couldn't hear a word, they seemed to be talking lightly and cheerfully, as though they didn't have a care in the world. A sign on the window read, Help Needed. There were no posters with a name on them, torn or otherwise. Rosa pushed the door open and went in. Chapter 10 You're not old enough, said the barman flatly. He was a young man and seemed barely aware of Rosa's existence at all. His attention was firmly on the young women sitting at the table by the window. I don't need to serve alcohol, said Rosa patiently. Just do some tidying or cleaning. I just need some money for a train ticket. I told you, said the barman, but one of the women had come over to the bar to get more drinks. His attention switched instantly to her. The woman, however, looked down at Rosa and smiled. She was beautiful. In fact, all the women at the table were beautiful. But this woman was taller than the others, had a smooth grace to her movements that made Rosa feel small and scruffy and a little bit ashamed. Aren't you slightly young for cocktails? asked the woman, smiling. She had long blonde hair that flowed smoothly to her shoulders where it ended in a perfectly straight line. Was that being cut off by someone using a steel ruler, thought Rosa, or, or possibly a laser beam? The woman wore a simple strappy dress, which looked as if it had been designed specifically for her just moments ago, and long velvet gloves that reached to her elbows. Rosa particularly liked the gloves. They didn't quite go with the dress, but in a way that looked as if the wearer knew that, but just didn't care. Rosa looked into the woman's calm grey eyes and found herself tongue-tied and very slightly in love. She's astray, the barman flashed an insincere smile at Rosa, and the more sincere one at the woman. Ought to chuck her out, really, but you'll do no such thing. The woman sounded outraged and bent down to Rosa's level, 
not patronisingly, but so they could talk as two women of the world, discussing grown-up matters. Rosa really wanted to ask her where she got her gloves. Do you want something to drink? asked the woman. Rosa squirmed, embarrassed. I don't think I'm supposed to drink cocktails, she said. But even though she said it, she thought what a stupid rule it was. Why shouldn't she drink what she wanted? But the woman smiled at her. I was thinking more of a hot chocolate, she said. Now why don't you tell me all about yourself? Here you go, said the barman, placing the mug down in front of Rosa. It was frothy, and the marshmallow plonked in the top was already starting to melt. The barman reached out with a hand, as if to ruffle Rosa's hair, but she stared at him so fiercely he changed his mind and darted back behind the bar, where he continued to make pathetic expressions at the women. That man, Rosa thought, might be just a little bit stupid. Rosa woke up on the train, said the blonde woman, very seriously. She has no memory of where she came from or what happened to her. The other women shook their heads sympathetically. Now she was closer, Rosa could see they were playing some kind of card game, although none of the designs on the cards looked all familiar. She caught a glimpse of a cup and what looked like a stick before one of the women smiled at her and tucked the deck away into a metallic handbag. All the women were gorgeous and each was dressed in clothes so simple and elegant Rosa knew they must have come from the greatest fashion houses in the world. You poor dear, said the dark-haired American woman. She put her hand over Rosa's and held it firmly. This woman wasn't wearing gloves. Her nails were bright green. The blonde woman shot her a look of what looked almost like annoyance, then smiled at Rosa. Would you like some food, she asked, or more hot chocolate? Or some perfume, said an Asian woman. Perfume, said Rosa, confused. Suddenly, a silver spray appeared, and a cloud of scent enveloped Rosa. It was a little stronger than she would have liked, but not unpleasant, and it seemed to make all the women relax. This is fine, thanks, said Rosa, trying not to cough. So, are you all models? The women all looked pleased. Oh, this one's a keeper, said the woman in a thick German accent, and pushed a gingerbread figure across the table towards her. Uh, no, thank you, said Rosa, as her head had already been bitten off. Still, they seem so nice. Rosa felt herself grinning rather stupidly. It was funny, the women were so pretty, she felt happy just being in the company. Maybe the perfume was making her a little dizzy. Rosa looked over at the American woman. You can probably let go of my hand now, she said politely. The woman smiled at her, but said nothing. Her hands continued to grip Rosa's tightly, and the nails felt now just a little less like nails, and a little more like claws. Rosa was feeling the start of quite a bad headache. She opened her mouth to protest, then saw something that made her shut it again with a snap. On the back of the chair, behind the American woman, was perched a small brown mouse. She looked at the mouse. The mouse looked back at her. And then, to Rosa's astonishment, the mouse gave her a wink. After a moment, Rosa winked back. The American frowned. Bit of perfume went in my eye, said Rosa innocently. Her head was starting to clear a little now, and she was beginning to realise these women were much more dangerous than they seemed. It had been a mistake to hesitate in Wilmington, even for a second. There was nothing here for her but danger. As soon as she had the opportunity, she had to get out of this place, first the bar, and then the town. The mouse put a finger to his lips, or where a mouse's lips would be if he had any, then pointed up at the ceiling. Rosa looked up. A second mouse was crawling down the electric cord to the light fitting directly above her table. A third was discreetly making its way along the picture rail, also to a position above the table, and a fourth, leaping from chair to chair, and a fifth, using the salt and pepper pots on nearby tables as cover. The first mouse coughed once, loudly and deliberately. The 
women turned as one to stare at the creature, which held up one digit for attention and began to tap dance. There was a moment of silence as the women and Rosa and the barman all gaped. Then the other mice hurled themselves from their hiding places, teeth bared. The effect was instant, as though an electric current had been passed through them. Chairs went everywhere as the women leapt to their feet, screaming not just with terror, but also with absolute rage. Fashionable boots were now kicking out, trying to stamp down on the creatures, which were running in and out of expensive wigs, biting at designer-label clothes, and in one instance, sneakily drinking out of a cocktail glass. These mice weren't just brave, they had style. Kill them, screeched the blonde woman. Kill every last one of them. The American was holding firmly onto Rosa, her face moving like a mask, something beneath it rippling. She wasn't really a woman. None of them were. They were something older and darker, something that had learned to take human form. A mouse hurled itself at the woman thing, burying its teeth in her wrist. The creature let go, howling, and the mouse jumped quickly onto Rosa's shoulder as she ran for the entrance. She hesitated in the doorway, and it scuttled down her sleeve onto the back of a chair. Go quickly, ma'am, he said, in which was quite an authoritative voice for a mouse. We'll clean up here. Behind him, the American had caught the sleeve of her dress on a lit candle, and it went up with a whoosh. The barman, who'd been gaping all this time, snapped out of his trance and threw a bucket of slushy ice water over her. The flames went out, but oddly the woman continued to burn, her skin running and dripping, even as the barman fell back with shock, the empty bucket falling to the tiled floor with a clang. Cure, haven't seen a good melting for years, said the mouse happily and rattled off a snappy salute. Sergeant Watkins of Rodent, Roving Operations Department of the Extra Plane and Neutralisation Task Force at your service. Best get a wiggle on, the mouse continued, as a blonde woman looked over at Rosa and snarled. We do have an exit strategy, but it's really for your actual mouse-sized units, if you take them adrift.